Jump in. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 40. Uh, Genesis 40. We're going to be in chapters 40 and 41 this morning. And uh, so we want you to be prepared for that. And so if you don't, can't follow along with everything, the words will be on the screen. So Genesis chapter 40, and we'll begin in verse number one. Let's stand as we get our aerobics in this morning. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Here we go. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, and he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now, verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Verse one. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Verse 56. And so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe all over the earth. You may be seated. Have you ever had your flight delayed? If you've been flying lately, you know that delays are, are on an increase. About 7.6% more delays this time this year as opposed to last year. And RSW, our beloved Fort Myers Airport, did you know it has the second highest, rates, second highest rate of cancellations in the country? According to a recent CBS report, flight delays and cancellations could continue for the next 10 years because of a workforce shortage. No one likes being delayed, especially when flying, because delays have a chain reaction. About a month ago, my family and I were flying from here, RSW, to Pennsylvania. 
And uh, we were flying for, I was speaking and we were just there as a family. And uh, we, I, I particularly got a connection because Atlanta was our connecting point to get us to Pennsylvania. And um, you know, sometimes they have issues in Atlanta, right? And so I made sure that I had a good connection time in there. And so I get to RSW. We get there a little early because I have some OCD issues. Can I get a witness on that? And so we were there and then we found out our flight was delayed 30 minutes and then an hour and then it got an hour and a half and I only had a two hour connection. So we finally take off and we get to Atlanta's airport, its finest airport, and our connecting plane was on the other side of the moon. And so uh, we ran to the connecting gate. I had children who wanted to use the restroom and I said, either do it while we're running or hold on for dear life. <laughs> we get to the connecting gate by the grace of God, 18 minutes before the plane was scheduled to take off. I look into the gate, the door is open and I said, praise Jesus. I even saw a man go through. I now hand my phone to the ticket person and they said, the door is closed. I said, no, it's open. <laughs> they said, no, it's closed. I said, that guy just went through. She looked at her watch. She says, you're two minutes late. And I said, what about that guy? She said, he's two minutes early. And what was two minute delay cost me three hours in Atlanta airport. No one likes delays. No one likes to wait. But yet the Bible is a book of waiting. Noah waited. Abraham waited. Moses waited. Israel waited. Elijah waited. Paul waited. Isaiah 30 verse 18, the Bible says, therefore the Lord waits that he may be gracious to you. Even though in the delay, it doesn't seem very gracious. God is being gracious because God has a design in the delay. Sometimes God delays you to protect you from something. Sometimes God delays you to prepare you for something. And sometimes God delays you to develop in you something that you need. But the one thing you have to understand is that God is never in a hurry, but he's always in time, on time, every time you need him. The key phrase in Joseph's story, it was found in last week's message that the Lord was with Joseph. The question is, how would your life be if you truly believed that the Lord was with you? The, the sermon series has also asked this question, what would your life be like and how would you live if you believe that God's dream for your life is better and bigger and deeper than your dream for your life? So today's message is, is similar on that lines, but here's the, here's the question. How would your life be, how would you live your life if you believe that God's timing is better than your timing? You know, this is all encompassing in the theme that we've talked about in the providence of God. And in the life of Joseph, what we are seeing in God's providence is that God's delays are not God's denials, but they are part of the plan. And so providence can be defined as this, is that God, our heavenly father, is working in and through all things by his wisdom and power for the good of his people and the glory of his name. 
And what we have learned is that even though God may seem to be hidden and that very little is happening, it doesn't mean that God is not active, nor is he not working. And so chapters 40 and 41, you have the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. And what we see is that God has a design in the delay. And therefore, we must be hopeful in suffering and humble in success. Let's just unpack that. Number one, be hopeful in suffering. Chapter 40, verses one through four, uh, verse one says, sometime after this. Now, if you were with us last week and you saw last week's episode of the life of Joseph, you'll note that Joseph went from the pit to Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, he rose to be the CFO of Potiphar Incorporated. And while he was doing his job, he was falsely accused of assaulting Mrs. Potiphar. And he was thrown in prison. The man went from the pit to Potiphar's to now the prison. His situation has gone from bad to worse. And yet, what we are told at the end of chapter 39 is that the Lord was with him. Is that Joseph was successful God had blessed him with supernatural gifts of administration and organization, and because of that, he has risen to be a high-ranking person in the prison. So while in this position of leadership in the prison, who was, Joseph here is doing jail ministry from the inside, he meets two guys, Pharaoh's high-ranking officials, the cupbearer, and the baker. These men were responsible to both serve and to protect Pharaoh. I mean, the cupbearer's job was to taste the food and drink the drink before Pharaoh to make sure it's safe. On one hand, it seems like a great job. The king has cake, you have cake. The king has Coke Zero, you have Coke Zero. But if it's poisoned, the king lives and you're dead. Long live the king. Well, something happened in which these guys committed an offense against Pharaoh. Some scholars believe that maybe there was a plot to kill Pharaoh and that the sense was is that the cupbearer and the baker may have been involved. And so Pharaoh, in his anger, puts them both in prison. And so they happened to be at the same place that Joseph was serving. And Joseph had the responsibility to serve these two men, even while they're in prison. Now, again, I want to reiterate to you that Joseph's life went from bad to worse, and yet he continues to work hard and serve others, even in the midst of his suffering. And so while he is serving these men, these men have two dreams, one apiece. Dreams in the story of Joseph has come, they've come in twos. There are 21 recorded dreams in the Bible. I've told you this, 10 of those dreams are found in Genesis and six of those 10 are found in Joseph's story. And we find dreams all in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And dreams were God's special revelation to his people. God was speaking to them. Today we have God's word, which is God's special revelation to us. But that still doesn't mean that God still doesn't use dreams. He does, but yet every dream that we dream needs to be in line and in concert with the word of God. And so here, these guys have dreams. They wake up in the morning. In verse six, Joseph notices that they were downcast. Now they're in prison. That's pretty bad. But these guys are really downcast. 
Maybe they were Florida Gator fans. <laughs> and Joseph noticed that they were downcast. Now, again, another principle. Here's a man who's going through his own suffering, but yet he's not obsessed with his suffering that he doesn't, he's not so obsessed with his suffering that he doesn't notice the suffering of other people. Normally when we're going through tough times, the only one we think about is us. But here Joseph is going through difficulty and yet he wasn't so consumed with his own problems. He was concerned about other people's problems. And so they say to Joseph, well, the reason why we're down is that we had a dream and the dream was weird. We don't know what it meant. And so Joseph looks at them and says, well, that's okay. Don't interpretations of dreams belong to God? You know, what I love about Joseph here is that he got involved, he asked questions, he was serving them, but as he was serving them, he made it absolutely clear that God is the only one who has the ability to actually help them understand what this was all about. Now, what I love about that is that in the midst of his suffering, Joseph did not deconstruct his faith. He, he didn't become bitter. He actually became bolder. He, he didn't become so mean-spirited. He didn't become bitter and angry at God. We're living in a day in which this popular turn of deconstructing is kind of in um, popular culture. Maybe you've heard the word deconstructing. It's a, it's a word that is, is said a lot, especially if you listen to podcasts, but it's very confusing. But, but really what deconstructionism is, is it's, it's shorthand for critically questioning traditional ways of thinking and often has to do with faith. And what normally happens in, in our day is that deconstruction happens when people have an experience that doesn't fit what they have believed. And so they want to change what they believe to fit what they're experiencing rather than just embrace the mystery of faith without explanation. And so what happens is, is that someone has been raised to believe that God is good and that God is sovereign and yet they are suffering and their experience of suffering is now calling them to question whether God is good or whether God is in control and they either abandon the faith that they once had or they deny the faith altogether. So it's deconstructionism. Well, here Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph is still following God. And so they tell Joseph their dreams. Let me give you the quick version. The cupbearer had a good dream. And the dream, the dream meant, the interpretation of the cupbearer's dream is that in three days he would be restored to his position. The baker had a bad dream, which meant in three days he would be dead. Now, Joseph had a, a decision to make. Was he going to tell the baker the bad news or not? I mean, he could have just lied to the baker and said, well, you know, the cupbearer had a good dream. You know, your dream, it's not as bad as you think. I mean, I'm not sure. No, he basically says that in 72 hours or less, you're going to die. Wow. Now, let me just say this, that to be faithful, to share God's word with others, you must be willing to share both cupbearer news and baker news, good news and bad news. Here's the thing, if, if, if all we share is good news without the bad news, then we cheapen the good news. 
So if all we teach is relationship with God without repentance, well, we're not telling the whole story. If we talk about heaven without hell or peace and love without the death and suffering of Jesus, if we talk about conversion without conviction, then what we may have is nothing. Now, I'm not telling you that you've got to get a Bible and beat someone over the head or try to scare the heck out of someone. But I am telling you that you've got to tell the truth, both the good side of the truth and the bad. Because where there's no challenge, there's no change. And so here, Joseph does that. And so verse 20, we fast forward on the third day. It is Pharaoh's birthday. Do you understand that there are two birthdays mentioned in the entire Bible? One is Pharaoh's here in Genesis, and the other one is Herod, King Herod in the Gospels. And in both birthday parties, there is someone losing their head. Happy birthday. So the cupbearer gets his job back and the baker loses his head. And what you'll find is that everything that Joseph said was going to happen is what happened. Exactly as he said it was going to happen. Again, that came from the Lord. But one thing we didn't read is in verse 14, Joseph told the cupbearer who was going to get released and put back in his position. He says, when you get released, when you get put back in your position, don't forget about me. Tell Pharaoh about me. Tell him I didn't do what they said that I did and vouch for me and validate me. And yet what happens in verse 23 is this. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's the lowest point in Joseph's story. Joseph is now a 28-year-old who's been thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison, and now he is forgotten by the guy he just helped. And he thought this was the moment, but now he is forgotten, forsaken, and abandoned again. He's kind of like Charlie Brown in the football. Thinking this is the moment only to have Lucy take the ball back. Verse one says that after two whole years, two years of silence. You know, he probably thought after a few days, well, the cupbearer will remember me. He's just getting settled in. And then a week later, well, you know, maybe he's busy. Maybe his wife had a lot of chores for him to do when he got back. And so, you know, maybe he's really busy with that. And he had a lot of emails to catch up on and some text messages to, to respond to. And he, he'll tell Pharaoh, or, or, or maybe he thought, you know, two, three weeks have passed. You know, maybe he's like, Pharaoh still ticked off at him a little bit. Maybe he hasn't been around Pharaoh. Six weeks have now elapsed and he's thinking, well, this is over. He's suffering. But yet, the one thing I want you to understand that even though Joseph is stuck in prison for two years, you think about two years. You can have two kids in two years. Two years can make a lot of difference. Joseph stuck in prison. The cupbearer is back in the palace. But yet, I believe that Joseph is still waiting, he's still hoping, and he's still trusting in God. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, as you read chapters 40 and 41, you see that the only person that Joseph talks about is God. Joseph is very God-focused. 
Here's what he says in verse eight of chapter 40. God gives the interpretation. Chapter 41, when he comes to Pharaoh, he, he says, it's not in me, God will give. God has revealed, God has shown, it's fixed by God, God has made me. What you'll notice this is that Joseph chose to see his circumstances through God, not God through his circumstances. See that in this moment, he made a conscious decision to not focus on his circumstances, but focus on his God. See, you can't focus on both. You either focus on your circumstances or you focus on God and what you focus on matters. Now, for most people in this room, you have something you may not know you have. You've got a dominant eye. It's called ocular dominance. The dominant eye is the eye that provides slightly more input into your visual cortex of your brain and it relays information to you more accurately. And so the dominant eye is the eye in which your brain focuses on the most. And so today I'm gonna teach you which one is your dominant eye. So we have two crosses in this room. Now, if you're, even if you're at home, you can do the same thing. Just find an object. So we have a cross here and a cross there. So here's what I want everyone to do. And yes, this is group exercise, is to put your hands out just like this and make a little bit of a triangle. Find which cross you wanna focus on. Get it to where the cross is in focus within the triangle, okay? Everybody got it? Say amen. amen. All right, now close one eye, all right? Now open both eyes, close the other eye. All right, here's the question. Which eye lost the object? Whichever eye lost the object, the opposite is your dominant eye. And so if you looked at something with both eyes and one eye, it stays the same, that's your dominant eye. Does that make sense? Now, if you're visually impaired, or you don't know the difference between your right eye or your left eye, this is not as easy. Now, I learned this, I learned this when I was a kid in, in Hunter's education of which is my dominant eye. And it makes, it's important which is your dominant eye because your dominant eye helps you uh, when you're shooting a basketball, when you're shooting a gun, when you're playing sports, even when you're reading. And here's what I found out. I found out that my left eye is my dominant eye and I'm right-handed. You know what that means? I'm confused. <laughs> all right? Now I tell you all this, why? Because what your dominant eye is focused on is what matters. And God has to be the dominant eye of your life. He has to be the one in which you see life through. Here's why. Because if you see life through you, if you are the dominant eye of your life, you will be discouraged because you will see that you are not enough to fix your problems. If your dominant eye is your circumstances and that's what dominates your mind, then you will be disappointed because things will not go how you think they will go and because they don't ever go how you think they would go and you will be disappointed. 
And if your dominant eye, if the thing that you see life through is other people, you will be disillusioned because they will never meet your expectations. See, disillusionment happens when we put our hope and trust in people rather than God. But Joseph's dominant eye was God. Not himself, because that would have made him discouraged. Not his circumstances, because that would have left him disappointed. Not in the cupbearer, the pharaoh, or the baker, because that would have made him disillusioned. But he kept his eyes on God. Even though he was falsely incarcerated, even though he was forgotten, misunderstood, and unappreciated by the person he helped, he trusted in God that he, God, had a bigger work going on. You say, how do you know that? Well, Joseph tells us. Later on, when the story progresses a little bit more and he's talking to his brothers, the same brothers that threw him in a pit, Here's what he said to his brothers. He says, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because God sent me before you. God was doing a work. How could he do that? How could he have this kind of hope in the midst of his suffering? Because his eyes were on God. And here's what you have to understand about God. The Bible tells us this. The church history tells us that. My life story and your life story teaches us that God does his deepest work in the darkest of times. See, in our Instagram world, we have expectations that things are going to happen quickly and easily. And when they don't happen as quick or as easy as we hope, we get mad. And we get mad at God. You know, back in the old days, <laughs> when you would take a picture... Kids, you would take a picture and you would use something called film. <laughs> you go to a museum, you'll see it, okay? <laughs> Which meant that if you wanted to take a picture of something, you couldn't just take the picture and then 10 seconds later post it in some prefabricated filter that made you look really good. It meant that you would have to take the film, the negatives... And you'd have to take the negatives, the film, and you would take it to Walgreens or CVS or some sort of developer, photo developer, and then they would take those negatives and they would take them back into a dark room. And in this dark room, they would do some dark things, <laughs> some special things. They would do bippity-boppity-boo. They would take the negatives and develop them into photographs. And then about three to seven days later, you would get a phone call on your home phone and they would tell you or leave an answer on your answering machine, it's time to pick your photos up. But you had no idea how those photos were going to look. You had no idea if there was going to be red eyes or blurries or anything like that. You didn't know until you picked up the picture and then you would see what the picture looked like when it's fully developed. And what I'm telling you today is this, is that you and I must be willing to trust God with the negatives of our lives and wait for him to develop us according to the bigger picture he's designed for us. 
Some of you have been waiting for years for a breakthrough and you feel forgotten. Some of you feel abandoned. Some of you feel misunderstood. And what I'm here to tell you today is keep showing up, keep praying, keep worshiping, keep serving, keep trusting God. The weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Be hopeful in suffering. But then be humble in success. Verse 41, two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. Matter of fact, he has two dreams. One dream was about seven ugly cows and seven attractive fat cows. It's the Chick-fil-A dream. In his dream, they said, eat more chicken. The other dream has seven ugly ears of corn and seven fat ears of corn. It's a very corny dream. All puns intended. Both cows and corn were staples to the Egyptian economy. And so Pharaoh has these weird dreams And he calls his magicians, he calls his wise men, all the king's horses, and all the king's men could not tell him his interpretation of the dream. He's got questions. And so the cupbearer, his buddy, the guy who's eaten the cake before he eats the cake and drinks the wine before he drinks the wine, uh, the king is there and he doesn't have much of an appetite. And so the Pharaoh speaks to the cupbearer and says, man, I'm, I'm struggling here. And what are you struggling about, king? And well, I've, I've had these dreams and man, I don't know what they mean. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer says, you know what, Pharaoh? Man, I went through something like that. You know, there was this guy in, in a jail. And man, he was pretty, he was a, he's a pretty, he's one of the nicest young men I've ever met. Man, he helped me with my, he told me I was going to come back and work for you. You know what, maybe we should, maybe we should have him come up and tell you what's going on. And Pharaoh's like, that sounds like a great idea. So verses 14 and 15, Pharaoh gets Joseph, the Bible says, out of the pit. Do you understand that? The cupbearer remembering Joseph is actually a hinge moment in the entire story. That had the cupbearer not remembered Joseph in that moment, this whole story unravels. And so before Joseph becomes before the king, he has to shave all of his body because the Egyptians believe that bald is beautiful. Amen. Amen. I'm growing in beauty every day. So there Joseph was, clean-shaven, slick, bald-headed, presented to Pharaoh. He stands before the most powerful man in the world. Pharaoh says, hey, my friend, the cupbearer, says that you can interpret dreams. Somebody just tells you their dreams and you can tell them what's going to happen. Now, this was Joseph's moment, wasn't it? I mean, he had dreams as a 17-year-old, and this seems to be maybe something is happening here. And so Joseph could have looked at Pharaoh and said, you know what, Pharaoh, you're right. I'm the dream machine. You tell me your dream, I'll tell you your future. 
But that's not what he says. Verse 16 says, Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, it's not in me, but God will give. See, it's very clear that Joseph understood that his gift is not his gift, it's a gift from God. Now, the interesting thing that we're reading here in our Western mindset is you gotta understand some historical context, and the historical context is that Pharaohs in this day believed that they were God. And so, Joseph stands in front of the most powerful man in the world who thinks he's God and tells him that he is not God, but that Joseph knew the real God and the real God wasn't Pharaoh. The real God was the God of heaven and everyone in the king's court is saying, oh no, he didn't. <laughs> but yes, he did. You know, one of the issues that many of us have when we're in front of successful, powerful, wealthy people is we have this tendency to want to impress them. And the reality is, is that most of us are just too impressed with people. One thing I see about Joseph and his integrity is that he is the same with everybody. With the cupbearer and the baker, he says, it is not me, it's my God. And he says the same thing to Pharaoh. Because he doesn't have an overinflated view of himself and he doesn't have an exaggerated view of others. A book I want to commend to you is a book by Ed Welch. It's entitled, When People Are Big and God is Small. He says in the book that anxiety comes into our lives when people are big and God is small in our hearts. He says that the fear of man is the sinful exaggeration of a normal experience. For many of us in this room, rich and famous people are bigger in our lives than God. Our boss is bigger than God. Our spouse is bigger than God. Our kids are bigger than God. Our enemies are bigger than God. What other people think thinks about us is bigger than God. But I want you to understand that God is bigger than them all. And Joseph gave all the credit because God was big in his life. See, when you are successful, when I am successful, we need to be humble and realize that everything we have and everything we do is from God. Do you understand that you are not the hero of your story? Therefore, my life is not a biography of how great I am. It is a testimony of how great God is. Amen. And so Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. Joseph says to him, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's going to do. God has shown this to Pharaoh. This is special revelation. Both the dreams came directly from God. And their interpretation is that there will be seven good years of plenty and seven bad years of famine. Now, Joseph does what no one else could do. He could interpret the dreams. And listen, when you have special revelation, you need someone to interpret it. He says in verses 32 through 36, Joseph says, you know, there's something unique here, Pharaoh, is that there's a doubling of the dream. And the doubling of the dream means that it's fixed by God. You'll notice that in Joseph's life, there was two dreams, and the, and the butler and the, and the baker was two dreams. Pharaoh has two dreams. It means that this is going to happen because of the dreams being a witness, and you have two witnesses establishing truth. 
Joseph says this is ordained by God. God has planned it. It's going to happen how it's going to happen. And then what Joseph does is he tells them what to do with it. What people need is not just the interpretation of Scripture, which is important, but they need the application of Scripture. As Adrian Rogers said, most people don't care about heaven or hell. They just want to know how to hack it on Monday. And so Joseph tells Pharaoh what he should do. He says, Pharaoh, you need a wise, organized, trustworthy person who can come in and save money, save food, because famine is coming. He actually has a tax plan that was 20%. He says, Joseph says, King, you need to save 20%. Dave Ramsey said, amen. <laughs> he says, Pharaoh, when times are good, you need to prepare for when times get tough. Verses 37, 38, the proposal pleased Pharaoh, and guess what he did? Pharaoh made Joseph in charge. He says, man, that's such a great idea, you do it. It's like if you ever on a committee at church and you come up with a great idea, you know what they say? That's a great idea, you do it. <laughs> now think about this. Why would the most powerful man in the world put so much power in a guy that just got out of the pokey? What was it? Potiphar looked at Joseph and said, can I find a man like this in whom the spirit of God rests? Even a pagan king saw God all over this boy. So verse 46 says that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh. 30 year old. Seemed like an overnight success. Like, wow. The prison one day and the palace the next day. Styling and profiling. But do you understand it took 13 years in the making? That, it, you know, if, 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 if Fox News or CNN were to interview Joseph, uh, who is now number two, the vice president in the entire land, and say, oh, Joseph, yes, yesterday you were in prison, and now you were in the palace. I feel like now it's the opposite. You start in the palace, and then you go to prison here in our American government system. <laughs> Joseph, you, 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 you were in prison and, and now you're in the palace. It seems like you are an overnight success. Joseph would look at him and say, I've been stuck for 13 years. But do you understand that everything happened according to God's timing? Because had the cupbearer told Pharaoh two years earlier, the best scenario would be that Joseph would have got out of prison, been sent back home to his family, and would have died in a famine a few years later. Do you understand that God's timing is the best timing, even if it doesn't fit our timing? There, there's two levels when it comes to submitting to God. The first level is hard, and that's submitting to God's word. That's obeying the Bible. That's following Jesus. That is, that's tough submission. But the second level of submission is even tougher, and that is submitting to God's timing. It's one thing to submit to God's word. It's another thing to submit to God's timing. And here Joseph waited and languished in prison for two years because it wasn't the right time. Verse 56 and 57 says that the famine spread. All the earth came to Egypt. They all came to Joseph. The dream that he had as a, as a kid was starting to come into pass. People from everywhere were coming to Joseph. I mean, Joseph in this moment was more famous than Taylor Swift. People are bending their knees. And what you'll notice is that Joseph never promoted Joseph. He only promoted God. And when he promoted God, God promoted Joseph. 
He's given a gold ring. He's given a chariot. He gets a Maserati. Gets a gold ring. Gets robes of white linen. It's interesting. And I wanted to make this note that there, Joseph here is robed again. Think about the cloaks in his life, the coats in his life. He's a kid, he's been given a coat of many colors and it's ripped off of him by his brothers. In Potiphar's house, he rose in a position of authority, was given a cloak and Mrs. Potiphar ripped it off of him. Now he is clothed by the king of Egypt and no one will rip it off of him. His life changes, he now gets married. He waited, God rewarded. He marries a daughter of a pagan priest, an Egyptian. He's given a new Egyptian name. I won't start to pronounce it. He now has a new life in Egypt. He has two sons. Their names are Manasseh and Ephraim. Now here's the interesting thing. His wife had an Egyptian name. Joseph had an Egyptian name, but his sons have Hebrew names. Why did he give his son Hebrew names? Because he did not want them to lose their identity. He did not want them to forget where they came from. And he also didn't want them to forget what God had done in their dad's life so that they would be possible. The first son's name is Manasseh. The name Manasseh means God has made me forget all, the, all my hardship and all my father's house. He names his firstborn son, God made me forget. Every time he called Manasseh, M Manasseh, Manasseh, it reminded him to trust God and to forget the pain of his past. That rather than choosing to be resentful, he would choose to be grateful for all that God did in his life. He had to remember to forget. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, said that hell is a place where people never forget. His second born is Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. This name, Ephraim, reminded Joseph of God's faithfulness in his life, even though he was in the place of pain. See, in order for Joseph to be fruitful, he had to be forgetful. But he also, though, had to be reminded that God is good even in the midst of pain. A.W. Tozer said that it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Do you understand that your greatest and biggest ministry often comes from your deepest and darkest hurt? We're on the other side of the delay. God blessed Joseph more than he could even imagine. Delta gave us $100 in food vouchers. <laughs> which we went to P.F. Chang's and ate very little food and I paid them $20. <laughs> but it's more than I ever dreamed Delta would ever do. <laughs> do you understand that on the other side of the delay... Joseph was successful, but he never saw the full magnitude of what God was doing. But yet he still trusted that God had a bigger plan and a bigger design 
in both his success and in his suffering. I had this question this week. What would 30-year-old Joseph say to 17-year-old Joseph in the pit? What would he say? Here's what I think he would say. God's got this. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're in the midst of suffering or in the midst of success. Maybe you're in God's waiting room right now. But if Joseph were here today, he would say to you, God's got this. Trust in God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And help us, God, to keep our eyes on him. To not see God through our circumstances, but to see our circumstances through God. To see that we are not a biography about how great we are, but we are a testimony of how great you are. Father, help us to remember to forget the pain of the past. Help us, God, in this moment to understand that you've got it. And help us, God, to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing about trusting God.